Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we are delighted to be joined by Soundworks of Virginia owner Steve Payne, the company's president and chief engineer Grant Howard, and system tech Brian Hargrave. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you all? Doing great. Glad to be here. Well, excellent. I'm doing um, awesome. Uh, where, where are you all today? Are you, uh, are you in an office? Are you working remotely? Whereabouts are you all joining us from? Uh, so I am at what we would uh, refer to as Soundworks World Headquarters, which is a converted barn behind my house. <laughs> and the fellows are uh, down at the warehouse where all the gear is stored and everything really happens. Fantastic. And, and how about you, Grant and, and Brian? Yeah, we're at, we're at the warehouse. Um, where the trucks are parked and the gear is parked. Fantastic. Um, so I suppose we should start. It, I don't want to spend too long talking about COVID and the pandemic because it's all everyone's been talking about recently, but it would be uh, it would probably be remiss of me not to to ask you a little bit about how you guys have been coping with the, the situation over the last couple of years. What's it, what's it been like for you, particularly this year with the, you know, we've, we've started to see the return of live events and concerts and shows and things like that. What has this year looked like for you? Have you have you been encouraged by the signs that you're seeing? Has it been overall quite a positive picture, or uh, are we still a long way off of the uh, the, the the pre-pandemic state of uh, of touring and live events? I think Grant might address that best. He's kind of the the hands-on guy dealing with all of that day to day. What do you think, Grant? Yeah, I'm I'm very optimistic. Um, seeing how things have progressed from around April, May, when people were very tentative about having events. So they did what they could to do the pod seating. You know, if you're familiar with that, they paint the circles. And um, uh, and that seemed to have some success and allowed people who put on concerts to have more events and uh, and satisfy the protocols that were there. And then as it seemed, the, uh, the problem seemed to ease a little bit and folks started doing more and more. Obviously, we got busier and busier. So if we can keep on that track, I think um, we're headed in a good direction. Excellent. Well, it's good to hear. Um, so what what have been some of the key projects and events that you you would have been working on these last few months has it been music festivals uh music concerts have there been other types of events that you've been getting involved with what what kind of uh shows and and projects have you been seeing seeing uh, happening a lot recently uh well i think the first things that started were some uh local concert series weekly series that we have here in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, those guys uh, kind of stuck their necks out and started trying to do some things. And uh, for the most part, it's been music uh, and concerts. We do have some clients where we uh, are more spoken word things. We did some college graduations. Um, we do some uh, some ship christenings. Um at a shipyard, so we get to put up speakers for, you know, a microphone at a podium. 
And uh, so they've been doing that. One or two of those, they were really strict with, uh, with the COVID protocols and they really didn't have much of an audience, but they streamed it. But they still needed us for a few speakers here and there so that the, the crew can hear what was going on. So it's been a few things, but mostly music. Mostly music's trying to come back. We've got a local folk festival that we did with several stages that seemed to go well. So kind of the norm, just not as much as the of the norm. Sure. I mean, is that have you seen a, a change in the the approach to to how events are put on? You know, obviously things like international touring aren't quite where they they were previously. But have you seen? kind of an, an increase in things like regional tours or um, not so much residencies as, as such, but um, yeah, kind of people trying to put on shows where they can and, and, and doing so in a way that they perhaps weren't doing prior to the, to the pandemic. Yeah. I think specifically when it came to the, uh, the local, the weekly series that we've done, whereas prior to the pandemic, they were getting more national lacks. And then to get it going, they had more local and regional acts just to get the ball rolling again. And um, and I think that was beneficial in a couple ways. They got the um, they got to have shows again, and the local acts around here got to perform uh, in a, a big environment at a big venue. So I thought that was pretty cool. But that's that's kind of what I saw at the beginning coming out of this thing is how people were approaching it, at least in this area. Mm. And what, if I could add one thing that I noticed too, uh, what Grant referred to uh, earlier as a, a local folk festival um, with a couple of st- few stages actually historically has, has been international artists. Um, we do seven stages there and over three days and the crowds run close to a quarter of a million people. So it's pretty big for a local festival this year. We didn't have any international artists at that event. Um, They use all national artists because of the problems with transportation and crossing borders and such. So um, we're really grateful that they stuck their necks out and did that event. Uh, The crowds weren't quite as large, but they were really happy with the turnout. And it was uh, national artists constrained within U.S. borders. Mm. I noticed that difference this year. Yeah. And is that, um, I don't, have, have you been sort of encouraged by the way that people have still been determined to put shows on and, and make live music happen despite what's, you know, the, the challenges that the industry and that everybody has been facing? It does feel like, and, and this has been, you know, I, I think seen almost across the board, there's, there's still a determination that as soon as it's possible, people want to put shows on and they want to, they want to be, you know, staging shows. They want to be performing. They want to be working shows. It feels like that's been one of the, the silver linings perhaps that's come out of all this, the way that people have come together to, to try and create a, a, an opportunity for live music to exist still is, is quite an amazing thing. I think. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I don't think here, at Soundworks, there was ever any doubt that the the desire was there, that the people were chomping at the bit because we were all personally feeling it with the lockdowns and we were everyone was feeling it. It was gut felt. 
across the board. So I don't think we had any doubt that when it started to become safe to do, uh, to some extent, there was going to be some tipping point in what safe is. Um, and when that point was reached, that people were going to come out en masse. And I don't think we've been disappointed. I think crowds have really been good. Um, there's been a huge desire for people to get out, hear live music, get together, socialize. Yeah, I think you're spot on with, with what you're saying there. Fantastic. Um, um what does it look like now to be working on a show? You know, people talk about what it's like for the audience, the performers, you know, people, whether people are having to do tests, wear masks or show evidence of vaccines, whatever it is. What, what does it look like if you're, you know, behind the scenes, backstage, whether you're doing front of house engineering, whether you're doing monitors, whatever it may be, working on the tech side? How is, the, how is that, how does that look now? Is your, is your role kind of largely the same? Does, does, does the, the, the production of a show look the same or has that been kind of made more difficult because of social distancing uh, requirements or restrictions? You know, what, what's the, what's the uh, complexion of that, that side of the, of the business? Who wants to take that one? Brian. Oh, me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, at at first it was pretty rough, uh, especially our first show back was in, September uh, of last year, and it was, a, I think it was a billion degrees, and you're wearing a cloth face mask and you can't breathe, and you're just going through cloth face mask after cloth face mask to, you know, keep them dry. You could wring them out. Uh, that was pretty rough. So, you know, there's been other days where you had to travel with, you know, like a lighting guy from another company in a truck up to a venue a couple hours away. You do an all-day show. You travel back. By the time you get home, you've spent 18 hours in a mask, and the backs of your ears feel like they're, you know, bleeding. And uh, But once the vaccination really started to take hold and people started to relax and numbers for infections and deaths started to, to drop off, uh, I think – things started to feel pretty normal, especially because in our size of production, uh, a lot of it is just the same local local labor that you see all the time, the same lighting company, the same video company. So you you have a pod that you probably had, you know, with your family, but it's just a little bit bigger now. It's just with production people. It's not like you're running around on tour meeting different crew every single day. So it it felt a little more normal and that was good though there have been different events uh, that we've worked where you had to get tested the morning of load in. Uh, There have been events where you had to carry a vaccination card, uh, not even just a a negative COVID test. Uh, They would require that of the audience, but for the crew, it was, you have to be vaccinated or you can't work the show. So those things have been there. Um, They're not every gig, uh, but I think people are still safe. You know, you, you see a touring band come through and they know that they're high risk because they're city to city to city and they'll require masks. Uh, and that's, it's fine. You know, it's just part of getting back to work. And that's the most important thing. I think, you know, we're talking about the joys of going to concert events, but for the, for the crew and the bands, it's really the joys of making money again after living through a year of, of going, Oh no, how am I going to eat? Mm. So we're all doing what we can. And, and the fact that you're able to go out and work and, and make money to take home and pay your bills, uh, that just wipes any inconvenience off the map. 
you know, you'll go wear three masks if they make you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It, you know, it's, it's absolutely, uh, you know, vital. I think that, that we are seeing the, not just the return of shows, but the people are kind of embracing whatever it takes to do these shows because ultimately people need to make money. They need to get their careers back on track because it's called, it's caused, you know, untold upheaval for so many people. I, th- I think you're right. I think a lot of people we've spoken to have felt the same. It's like, you know, it may be an inconvenience at times, yeah. but if it means I can get back out working again, then, you know, we'll yeah, do who it. Cares? I'll, I'll do whatever variations there are from gig to gig based on who yeah. the promoter is or who the band is. And I think most production people are the same way. Yeah. I haven't seen any tantrums from anybody going, I'm not wearing a mask at a load in <laughs> and, and ran out, you know, I, I was we're gonna... all happy. To, we're all happy to do whatever it takes to go back to work. And we're just glad to be there. Yeah, good to hear. I was going to ask if uh, you know that there have been any any issues with uh, with stuff like that, but it's it's good to hear that that's uh, generally not the case. Um, so, what can you tell us about some of the the kind of key shows and projects that you've been working on of late? What have been some of the most the most notable ones that um, that have either because they've been a return to kind of larger audiences, larger shows, or that have interested you or excited you in in any particular way? Yeah, what what have been some of the recent highlights, I guess? Good question. Um, I I think the one that uh, Steve and I had mentioned, the, uh, the Richmond Folk Festival, was kind of the one that said we're, we're back to a state of normalcy with some precautions. I think that was the one that's, that's been just in October. So we've had, you know, most of the year to prepare for that. But I think that one with the multiple stages with, um, a large, a large crowd, um, was the one that kind of said, okay, we're, we're almost back. And, um, and with that kind of, being one of the shows that closes out the the season for us, we're hopeful looking past the winter time when the season starts up again, that it'll just keep progressing from that. So I think that was kind of the one for me that just said, okay, thing, things are looking really good. Let's, let's keep it going. Yeah. You know, another, and another thing to me upcoming in 10 days or so, we have a Marie Osmond show indoors in a theater uh, and to me that makes a statement um, because marie osmond is going to appeal to older audience uh, who would be more susceptible to the virus it's going to be indoors which is really a no-no uh, for viral risk so the fact that they're doing shows like that shows me that things are really beginning to get back to normal excellent no i mean it's good to hear and of course you know but uh, a return to to big indoor shows is something that we hope will just continue to uh to to, to increase and and expand as, as we as we move on um i also wanted to ask you a little bit about your uh partnership with martin audio um obviously a uk brand um i was curious as to how that that partnership first came together. Uh, could one of you tell us a little bit about how, uh, how that relationship uh, originated? Wanna, it's funny that you went straight to that question. Cause when you were asking them what shows that they had looked forward to or 
felt uh, were most important over the year. I had like this unintentional segue into your question, which was honestly like there was no particular show that I was looking forward to, but we took shipment on two brand new Martin PAs in uh, early 2020 and then didn't get to use them. So over the course of this year, we got to hear at all of the regular gigs where we used to use our, our old PA, we got to hear these PAs for the first time. And, and really the most exciting gigs were the ones that we were used to doing, but now we had this really, really awesome new tool to put in its place and, and experience those for the first time. So that was kind of neat. It transformed those, those shows into new shows. And Steve, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I think that's really, really true. We, I know we've been really enjoying uh, putting these Martin rigs out. Uh, every time we put them up, it's a joy. Um, but as far as like how we got hooked up with Martin, um, so we've been around since 1976, so for 45 years, and we had a 30-year-plus relationship with another iconic British speaker manufacturer, which uh, several years ago kind of took a left turn. And um, that's the way it goes. Just left us hanging, basically, with the inventory of what used to be a, a good product and now is not supported. Mm. So we had, to make, we had to make a decision on what to do, and we were auditioning speakers. We were right, truly ready to pull the trigger on, uh, uh, I don't know if I should say, the brand, but you can always edit it out, I guess. Oh, so, but a, a Canadian, a very well-respected Canadian manufactured speaker system, which is a great speaker system. Um, and I, I talked to Brad Stevens, who is a friend of mine. He used to work for Turbo Sound, which is where I knew Brad from. Told him what we were thinking about, and I hadn't approached Martin because they didn't have a 12-inch box, and that's what we were looking for. We'd had a 10-inch box. We were looking to move to a 12-inch base box. And Brad says, well, we've got one in the pipeline. So I could give you a demo of our 10-inch box with just a smaller version of the 12-inch box, and you could consider it. So I said, well, okay. But if you want to do that, uh, we need to do that like tomorrow, <laughs> almost. It was within a week. Uh, Brad pulled it together. We did the the demo of the Canadian speaker manufacturer one day at a venue we worked in. Then the next day uh, we did the Martin rig and it, that was it. We were just sold. Um, th the other component there was that I had a longstanding relationship with Dom Harder. We go back to turbo sound days when Dom was high up in the echelon with that company then he was with Soundcraft, which we are users of, and I had a relationship with Dom at Soundcraft. He had taken over Martin. Um, just before we actually did this demo, or actually I guess we'd even done the demo, and we're trying to make up our mind, but right at that time, uh, Dom did his takeover, essentially arranged the financing and bought Martin and became the head guy. And that's kind of what pushed us over. We were sold on the product, but then I had a long-standing relationship, really solid relationship with Dom, and um, and that really made it a no-brainer for me that we should go ahead and and make the Martin commitment. So 
we, along with Southern Audio, a company that we've worked hand-in-hand with for years, um, made a commitment to buy 48 WPL and 24 SXH-218s, uh, sight unseen. In fact, the first one had not even been made. And, and we put down a six-figure deposit and said, we're, we're on board. Uh, they came in, and we were not disappointed. It's a, it's a WPC on steroids. It's a big WPC. Great sounding box. And uh, we used that for a year and knew that we liked the technology. As Brian said, based on that, we invested in WPS and WPC. Uh, we're still taking delivery. The carts for WPC hadn't even arrived and COVID hit. <laughs> <laughs> it really it really sucked well. big time. <laughs> so. Well. I don't know if that's too wordy, but that's kind of how we got here. Okay, I mean that's that's really interesting. And um, uh, Brian, you you said uh, about you know hearing these new systems uh, for the first time recently when uh, uh, you know one of the things that's been most exciting about coming back for these shows. What is what is it? That, what is the system that you've been using, and what can you tell us about it? What is it that you like so much about the system? Uh, well. Not to take away from the technology of another box, but we had had the same line array for, I would say, about 10 years. And 10 years is a long time in speaker technology. Um, I, I tell people, like, you wouldn't use a 10-year-old phone, would you? Uh, so the fact that we were coming out of this 10-year-old box into this WPL, and it was bigger, it was better. It just blew our mind. Um, the, the predictive software is really the magic uh, display. So when you when you use display for the first time and then you hear this really great sounding box take advantage of that technology, uh, it, I mean, it's a big light bulb goes off over your head going, oh, my God, you know, people are doing research and developing cool new things all the time. And, and we didn't know about it. Um, so we're going into these venues with a with a current box, a brand new box with really over the top software that makes the experience for the audience uh, uniform throughout the venue. And that's really important because, you know, nobody wants power alley, you know, to sit in the middle and to be blasted with low end and their friend, you know, four seats over has no sub whatsoever, or the guy in the back doesn't have any um, high end at all. And the guy in the front's getting beamed. So the fact that you can, give everyone in the audience what they deserve is, is really cool. And it's still so new to us because of the amount of gigs we've sort of been restricted to over the past two years. Every time we set it up and we're in one of the venues we used to be in, it, it almost causes laughter. Like when you watch like a really insane drum solo or something, you're just going, I can't believe that guy's doing that. And that's what the PA is like. I can't believe this PA does that. That's sort of what it feels like. Well, and it's really, for me, it's really cool to uh, have a guest engineer come out, get a, do a sound check, and then go out and walk the room or the uh, the field that we're in and come back and make no changes. Because mm. in the old days, he would walk out and before he gets 20 feet, turn around and come back and make some sort of EQ change and then walk out again a little further, come back and make some tweaks. And now nine times out of the 10, they, they come back and they don't make any changes. They right. just continue mixing. And that's very satisfying. 
Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and one of the things that um, I, I wanted to ask you about as well is um, how much of a focus things like immersive audio technology is, uh, you know, that that's something that, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing new as such, but in, in recent years is something that a lot of loudspeaker manufacturers particularly have been really pursuing, you know, with various iterations of, the, you know, object-based technology, things like that. Is that something that, that you guys have been focusing on and looking to invest in? Are you seeing an increase in demand for, for immersive elements within live shows? I would, uh, you know, at this point, um, it's not something that we are seriously considering it. The guys there may have been following it and watching what's going on. Um, for us at this point, the, the wavefront precision technology is so new to us. As I said, we, we bought WPL three years ago, but <laughs> COVID. So it's this past year is really the first year we've had to use the wavefront precision. And we're still blown away by this technology and what it's achieving, the consistency, because it, it doesn't just sound great. It just sounds great everywhere. Um, you run the software and you turn the system on, you don't have to grant it. You don't, you don't have to make EQ changes. It just comes out of the box, sounding great everywhere. So uh, the immersive thing may be the future. I would say at this point it seems a little gimmicky to me, um, but I haven't really heard it. So it might be, holy smoke, I'm not really that familiar with it. Mm. Have either you guys been following it at all? I haven't. I've seen some some photos of other rigs hanging, you know, with this sort of, as you said, gimmicky, immersive thing. And I just think, man, that rigging bill. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just motors and motors and motors and speakers hanging from the, the, uh, the downstage edge all the way across. It's a lot of weight in places that maybe have never even been rated for it before and had to go get i don't know it just seems like a lot of infrastructure and i don't want to deal with it (laughs) (laughs) i'm a lowly monitor guy i don't want to hang 75 (laughs) points for a pa yeah i mean it certainly seems like something that is still very much finding its feet you know i think in the theater world it's been uh, established far longer but yeah you know in the world of live music it's yeah I'm, there have been i've seen say, some shows with it but it's uh, yeah it's still far from a you know b- becoming a standard standard thing uh, i, I will show. say in terms of the you know what sort of feels like gimmicky immersive uh the stuff that's out there for the stage now uh mm. not who cares about the audience the 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 stuff that's out there for the stage the 3d um monitor mixing is is pretty cool and that seems a little more realistic to get into uh, yeah. that that i'm a little more interested in cool and is there anything uh coming up for you guys that you can tell us about at this point any whether it's any shows any announcements any any news that you can uh that you can give us a little nod towards um well this is our slow season <laughs> <laughs> where were you in april <laughs> so we're, we're looking forward to christmas with the families um but we we are um, we're getting ready to add yet more wavefront precision to our inventory. 
Uh, we just uh, we're working out an order now to add more WPC and WPS to bolster that, and uh, we're we're totally committed to to Martin Audio and uh, to the Wavefront Precision product. We also got some CD Live, which is pretty cool stuff. Um, but the Wavefront Precision, we're really blown away with, and we're we're jumping in with both feet. And we're looking forward to the spring of next year. That's when we'll really start getting busy again. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you all. Um, and thanks again so much for joining us. You know, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to, to stop and have a chat. So it's been great. Thank you very much. Good. It's been fun. Thanks, Dan. No worries. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. Dan. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.